I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am your guest, Greg Scordis, filling in for Boyd Matheson today. Do you go on your Facebook account every day? Do you check your Twitter? Every day. A lot of people do. I'll admit that I look at, I don't have Twitter. I don't know how it works yet, but I, I, I'll learn that someday. But I do look at Facebook. Ideally, I thought getting on it to chat with my friends and family. And Facebook, in fact, uh, in its mission statement, claims that it is a place to give people power to build community and bring the world closer, to stay connected with friends and family, to learn world events and express themselves. Have has Facebook really um, followed that mission? We're joined this afternoon by Zed Jelani. Zed is an independent journalist originally from Atlanta and a co-founder of the popular newsletter Inquire. He's a contributor to The Hill and has worked as a reporter for The Intercept, among many other publications. Zed, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And so tell us this, out of the shoot. Has Facebook... Um, followed its mission statement? Is that really what it's doing? Well, I mean, they would argue uh, that they're one of the world's leading communications platforms, right? They have billions of users now across the world. And, uh, you know, they say that their mission is to bring people together. And honestly, I do think some of the people who worked there and found that it did have that mission in mind. Um, I actually did some work previously for one of the uh, early Facebook people, Justin Rosenstein, who later became a critic. And, you know, he really, I think, did set out to create a tool for people to work together, to spread kind of joy and happiness, to communicate, to meet people. Um, But, you know, the problem here is that Facebook is a profit-driven enterprise. Uh, There's a really interesting documentary called The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and actually Justin, who I just mentioned, is in that documentary, a few other people are in it. And they talk about how Facebook is engineered to keep your eyes on that website or on that app as long as possible, right? It has addictive properties. In many ways, it's designed very similarly to a slot machine or to what you might do uh, you know, when you go and gamble in Las Vegas. You're not just getting you know, everything your, your friends and family or network are saying. It's actually curating things for you based on what it thinks will keep your eyeballs on stage as long as possible, things that are getting engagement. Um, and in many cases, it happens to be things that are contentious, that are controversial. People are arguing. People are sort of at, at ends with each other. And 
That's a, that's just become so much of the social media model across Facebook, across Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, you know, these services are basically engineered uh, around addiction, and a lot of unfortunately, what it, what addicts human beings is conflict. And it, it is it is sort of fighting with each other, and I think that's the difference between this and maybe you know writing a letter to your friend or going out in a public square and talking to people. Um, it's not exactly the same thing. These services are, are designed for addiction, and that can have a very um, you know, long-term deleterious effect on people uh, if the services continue to be designed that way. Interesting that you use the word addiction. I mean, I think a lot of people go on Facebook wondering whose birthday it is and who had a baby and how college is going for uh, so-and-so's son or daughter. Uh, that really hasn't – That those really aren't the posts that generate the most interest, though, are they? No, uh, what what tends to generate the most interest is things that get engagement. And, you know, it's interesting, Facebook, uh, you know, they came under a lot of criticism because their algorithm was promoting things, I think, that were seen as contentious or just very, you know, sort of uh, irascible. And so they, they made some modifications to the algorithm, and they don't make it public because it's, it's their own product. Um, but one of the things they, they, they did is they, they boosted what appears in your feed based on the kind of comments it gets or the, the number of comments it gets or people clicking those, you know, little, little emoticons they have there, which is like, you know, an angry face, happy face, uh, crying, so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of a lot of what actually ends up being boosted in that algorithm is stuff where people are just, you know, at, at which end with each other, where they're arguing, where they're calling each other names, where they're uh, basically posting hate, right, some, some form of hate, one, one way or another. Um, and actually, when... Mark Zuckerberg talks about this. I think I believe it was a few years ago. He he showed a chart to his employees, and what the chart showed was that the content that does best on Facebook is almost always content that goes right up to the line of what they actually prohibit. So it doesn't matter whether they move that line. They say, okay, we're going to prohibit this kind of content, that type of content. Whatever's closest to that type of content tends to be, just tends to perform the best because they created a product uh, that basically sponsors the most kind of angry and incendiary content. And that, that's what, what that's what kind of works for them. That's what makes them money. And it's something I think Facebook itself has realized now. But, you know, the question is, can we, ha- can we have ways to communicate with each other that aren't necessarily maximally profitable? Maybe everything that's maximally profitable isn't necessarily great for human beings, as we've seen with things like gambling or addiction or, you know, the slot machines. So... Um- What's the remedy? I mean, sometimes we we have heard and seen uh, where Facebook has removed posts, and we've all seen posts that have been removed. We've seen people who were actually removed from social media mm-hmm. sources that are censured or basically removed. I mean, is that is that the remedy? I mean, you know, speaking for myself, ideologically, I'm not very attuned uh, to censorship. I, I I'm very you know. Believing red American in that in that respect, I like people being able to have the right to speak their mind no matter what they're saying. I and I, I think that chart I just mentioned kind of demonstrates the problem. You know, wherever Facebook moves the line in terms of what's prohibited, the content that does the best still goes right up against that line. I think that we should start thinking about these services as an economic problem, not just like a speech issue, right? They're engineered and they're geared towards keeping your eyeballs on the page, keeping you there, engaging, arguing, fighting with people. Um, and, you know, there was a study that we just wrote up at inquiremore.com, which actually demonstrated this, that posts that are about an outgroup, meaning about some group of people that you and your friends or your fans don't like, always tend to do the best. I mean, that is 
to me, that's an economic problem. That's that's the reality that we have a handful of corporations monopolizing the space. They've engineered products that have had the intended or unintended outcome of promoting basically sectarianism, anger, hatred, controversy. Um, and what we, I think, what we really need ultimately is we need different types of services. We need a service where you really can just go on, where really it doesn't. It doesn't have any mission of maximizing profitability or keeping you on there for as long as possible. It just is there to show you, you know, the baby photos or connect with someone you knew in high school or talk to your cousin in Mumbai or Shanghai. Uh, you know, ha- have, a, have some sort of services that are actually out there on the playing field that are competitive and that can actually be marketed to people, but they aren't necessarily out there just to maximize their profitability. And, you know, I think the post office could probably run something like that very simple. Um, and I also think that the government has more of a role in promoting antitrust and more competition to this market so that other people can start up competitors to the Facebooks and YouTubes and Googles and, and Twitters of the world that maybe have a slightly different mission. You know, maybe they're not out there to make people billionaires, but they can still connect people. Uh, and you can still run a pretty good service that connects, that allows people to communicate to each other, but isn't necessarily maximizing that attention. Because I think once you start maximizing that attention to a website or to an app, you will end up getting a lot of that antisocial behavior. And to me, that's fundamentally an economic problem. And I think Facebook would like to tell people that, okay, we'll just knock some more people off our platform and we won't allow people to say this or that. But they'll just keep playing that game forever because at the end of the day, Facebook is one of the new monopolists in this, in this, on the planet, right? In Australia, I think something like 65% of digital advertising is now controlled by Facebook, right? Like one company, right? They are a massive, powerful company that's, in many ways, wiped out a lot of the, the old kind of public squares or commons, particularly local newspapers. When a lot of their advertising became reliant and dependent on Facebook, uh, they were no longer profitable. And like in Australia, they lost tons and tons of local newspapers, and here in the States we have as well. So I think the more we look at this as, as an economic problem, and we need to figure out a way to make this market more competitive so that more people can bring in alternatives that maybe aren't as incendiary, that don't promote as much antisocial behavior, I think the better off we are. Because I think if we keep playing the speech game and talking about you know, should Mark Zuckerberg be sitting there with an unelected council before deciding who can speak? I mean, that gets really problematic really fast. Uh, and I think as Americans, ultimately, we would rebel against that kind of thing. But I think also as Americans, we like having a big, wide-open market with a lot of choice, a lot of competition. And I'm sure we can do better than this. I'm sure we can design better products than this. If we have the right policy, I think that can kind of make this market more competitive than it is right now, because I think I do think it has been monopolized. Zed Jelani, thank you so much for your time today. I fascinating conversation and, and, and I, I agree with a lot of what you say when we come back uh, Utah's water issue we talked about yesterday is really at a dire position we're going to talk to representative Joel Ferry from Box Elder County a farmer who's also a representative about what we can do it's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up they pointed their guns at me And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.